question for you, young lady. Every one of the kids in this house is happy except for you. Why is that? No, What's your problem? Stop it! All I can say is that my life is very complicated. I'm sorry, but I didn't get half of what you said. This is a Royal Canadian Movie Podcast Independent Investigation. Hey there, and welcome to the RCMP. That's the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. I'm your host, Becky Shrimpton. And this week, I'm bringing you not one, but two interviews with women whose work I really admire. Jennifer Dale and Sheila Carter. The two of them just co-wrote and made a film, Into Invisible Light, coming out this Friday, February 1st, 2019, in select theaters across Canada from A71 Distribution. Make sure you check out the show notes for how you can see this movie at a theater near you, and for more information about a future VOD release. My first guest, Jennifer Dale, who co-wrote and stars in Into Invisible Light, has been nominated for multiple Canadian Screen Awards. She's a recipient of Toronto Women in Film's Outstanding Achievement Award and the Earl Grey Lifetime Achievement Award from the Academy of Canadian Cinema and Television. And, of course, she's fabulous in this podcast's favorite giant rap movie of unknown origin. Here's Jennifer Dale. First and foremost, congratulations on the movie. It's beautiful. Oh, thank you so much. You know, there's something about sophistication in film, and we're not seeing a lot of it these days. And I mean, Canadian film does have a bit of a history of this. I'm thinking about The Red Violin, which we recently covered on the podcast. There's just so much effort, more effort that seems to need to go into sophistication. Well, sophistication, yes. I guess that's a way to put it. But, you know, this is a movie for a certain audience. And I make no apologies about the fact that it is uh, perhaps a little more wordy, a little more dialogue heavy than a lot of films that we're used to seeing. You know, there's always this argument that if it's film, it has to be more visual and more just imagistic. Well, as you know, the film is very beautiful to look at, but it, it's about people, you know, thrashing out issues of their past and trying to come to terms with things, and they have to talk about it. And I mean, I love to see movies where people are talking about things and not afraid of that. And I, I think that that's an element of the sophistication that this film has. And of course, you're drawing from deep theatrical roots. I mean, you've got some serious Uncle Vanya references going on here. Yes. Well, you know, when when Sheila Carter, the director, and I uh, first met, it was um, in 2008 or nine when she was going through the director's program at the Canadian Film Centre. And we did a short film together called One Night. And uh, we realized that we, we had a passion for a similar style of working and that we wanted to do something more substantive and try to write a feature together. And we took a long time about that, coming to the story and the character that we wanted to create. We, we did a lot of talking and writing to each other about the, the women's roles that inspired us, actresses wh whose performances inspired us, and uh, stories about our own past issues of our, of our, uh, our own histories and people that we knew. And then finally, Sheila hit on this idea of the, the checkoff element because she was trying to find a character that would be ideal for me to play. And she asked me if there had ever been a role uh, in the theater that, that I 
loved to play or wanted to play. And while I'd never formally played it in a production, I had worked a lot on the character of Yelena from Uncle Vanya in acting classes years before. So we, we started looking at that character. And as you know, you know, the, the, the characters in Chekhov, they're always bemoaning the wastefulness of their lives, but they're also um, captivated by what life should be or could be. And the greatest uh, sin or the greatest immorality to Chekhov is uh, not having attempted to fulfill your potential or to to not have realized yourself or the desires of your heart. So we started with this idea of trying to take that character and transpose her into a modern story. So we've, we came up with this woman, Helena, who um, feels estranged from her own life, feels uh, sort of like an, an incidental character in her own life, and um, inconsequential. And she's only semi-conscious of the the weight of remorse and and disappointment in herself that she feels for never really having given herself to the dreams she had of writing. And, and also by extension feeling that she never really gave herself to love. And she's a recent widow whose husband has left um, a very strange caveat in his will, a kind of a challenge to her. He's left her in charge of this foundation for young artists uh, who she has to decide who gets the grants. But because of her own sense of guilt of not having fulfilled her own potential, she is self-sabotaging herself still and, and feels unworthy to take on this challenge. And the other thing that has happened um, right at the beginning of the film is that by chance she has run into someone that she would, was involved with 25, 30 years earlier um, who was also a writer and they start to see each other and begin to uh, examine what happened between them all that time ago and choices that were made and how uh, it has affected both of their lives going forward. And through this sort of forgiveness uh, period, um, she begins to write again. And the writing is a, a healing process through the transformation of her mourning and her grief. But it's also um, her finding her voice again. And it's not that she's about to become a fabulous writer. It's just that she's she's giving herself to that again. She's She's recognizing the opportunity and the chance that's being given to her in a way that she couldn't when she was younger. Well, there's something in that, too, is it seems, uh, I mean, the character originated as a model, uh, and it seems like there was a big emphasis on her physicality for a very long time, especially with the boyfriend who she is rekindling with, and yeah. now she's finally getting a chance to explore the intellectual and that other side of her potential. So it's the different sides of women, which Chekhov kind of wrote about, but, you know, not in such yeah. modern yeah. specifics. Yeah. Now, you come from a theater background. Of course, you trained at the National Theater School. You've done lots of stuff at Stratford. Um, what's it like as you're transferring those kinds of theater things and theater concepts into film? Well, you know, my theatrical uh, work has been very sporadic. 
yes, it's true. I, I started out in the theater when I was very young and went to theater school and then uh, was at the Stratford Festival in the very early days um, of my career. Uh, I was a you know young journeyman actress sitting at the feet of Maggie Smith and Martha Henry on the Stratford stage in those days. Um, and it's, you know, as you can imagine, a wonderful sort of uh, complete uh, full circle of having Martha Henry also now in this film with me playing my mother-in-law. Um, but but then, you know, when I, when I left Stratford, I didn't work for many, many years in the theater. Um, but when I I was in my uh, early 30s, I became obsessed with the character of Eleonora Duse, the great rival of Sarah Bernhardt, the younger Italian rival of the French actress Sarah Bernhardt. And Duse was known as the mother of modern acting in many ways when Stanislavski was codifying his system of method what has come to be known as method acting which is you know the 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 acting from interior states really the the realistic form of acting that we that we do now and have been doing for over a hundred years it began with her and I, I had become obsessed with her and finally after many years of research and study was able to create a one-woman show that I performed in 2004 uh, on the stage. And so I had gone from not doing any theater for a long time to really diving in to the deep end with a one-person show. And then I didn't work in the theater again for another eight years after that, and then went and did a really zany comedy a few years ago. So, you know, I, I wouldn't really say that there that there is... Um, a big crossover when you're working in film, except that uh, one of the things that that uh, certainly Sheila and I loved about working on this film, and and really demanded from our producers in terms of the the budget and the timing, is that we wanted to have rehearsal time before coming to the set. You know, when you've got. Uh, scenes with actors that are, are quite talky and and have a lot going on in the background and where the dialogue is about camouflage and deflection and what is going to be revealed when and how. Um, it's important to have a certain amount of rehearsal time. So we did that uh, significantly before we came to the set. And as you know, also, when you're shooting a low-budget film, as we were, um, your set time is limited. You're only ever going to, to get two or at most three takes of anything if you're lucky. And so you have to have worked out a lot of things previously. And that's part of a rehearsal process. Now, I'd like to take it back to Duze, and uh, you have a short film actually called Duze and Me, which I watched, which is fabulous. And you're speaking in fluent Italian in it, which is also amazing. Um, Yes. And in that, you feed yourself the line, what if there are no more parts to play? And you've had such an incredible long and storied career. How did you decide what you wanted to create for this, for Into Invisible Light, as you're one of the co-writers of it? Certainly, um, I, I don't mind copping to the fact that I would never consider myself to be the sort of actress that anybody would refer to as a chameleon. I mean, you know, a, a, a lot of us know that there are certain kinds of parts that we're better suited to and that 
we have our own natural, you know, sensibilities and gifts to bring to. And, and so we were trying to create something that would be intrinsically uh, the kind of character that I would play. We didn't want to say, oh, let's do something that you've, you've never done before. I mean, it is something that I've never done before in that I was involved in it from its very inception and, you know, at the, the ground level of writing the script with Sheila. Um, and not that this is the first time I've ever tried to do that. I, I, I admit that I've tried many times with many different writers and directors over the years uh, because I do love that collaborative writing process. And I, I have tried in the past, but this is the first time that anything that I have co-written has actually come to fruition other than that one uh, short film on Duzet. What was that collaborative writing process like for you? Well, Sheila and I, you know, we're in different cities and we only, I mean, this sounds even bizarre to myself as I say it, I think we only ever actually had two or three in-person writing sessions together where we had like, you know, a full day of eight, ten hours, whatever, and thrashing through stuff. But most of it was, you know, um, working through uh, character motivation, tone, um, the elliptical nature of the story, the things that we wanted to to be mirroring elements uh, from my own character within the character of uh, Monica, the daughter of Michael, who is also at a, um, a crossroads in her life where um, she's about to make an important choice uh, which could affect everything about her future going forward. And, the, you know, because we were working with this idea of second chances and the importance of choices and how they affect what happens, um, we, we were doing a lot of, you know, trying things on. Does this work? Does that work? Um, I mean, we were just writing to each other constantly and to talking on the phone and, She'd write a scene. I'd write a scene. We'd say, "Oh, this is this doesn't work, or this works, or you know, it's it's just a it's a it's a whittling away and and writing too much and overdoing things and then pulling back and streamlining and getting to the essence of it, um, just like that, you know. And and we you know we started to write it in uh, I guess around 2010. It took us a couple of years, and then it went on the shelf for a while because we both got involved in other things, in different series work and Sheila was making another feature and so it sat on the shelf. But during that time, I was also as a kind of sidebar job to supplement my acting. Um, I was I was reading uh, a lot of scripts for film companies and doing what we call coverage work, uh, which is, you know, reading a screenplay and analyzing it, sort of distilling it like a 120 page script into a five to 10 page synopsis and and writing, uh, you know, its its merits and demerits 
uh, pros and cons for a film company as to whether or not it was a, is a viable option for them to produce. And doing that kind of work taught me so much about what makes a script work and screenwriting. And, and while I was reading all these scripts, at a certain point, I just thought, wow, I mean, I, I know how to do this. And, and I have done this. And I have this wonderful story that's sitting on the shelf. And at a certain point, I, I called Sheila and I said, you know, we have to make this movie. And the time is now. And from the time that we committed to trying to make it, then it was about two years. We, it, we, we came back to the script with fresh eyes, did another few draft rewrites and started to pull together our producing team and and the funding. And that was a process of about two years. Um, with most films, people want to make money when they make them. And you mentioned this is a film that's not for all audiences, but there definitely is an audience for it. It's a really beautiful, universal theme. How did you approach the producers with this project? Uh, well, uh, one of the producers is a young fellow who who I had been trying to work on something else with that did not go forward. And so we were kind of uh, putting that to bed and disappointed about that when I said, oh, and by the way, I have got this other script. Would you like to have a look at? And he just really wanted to work with me. So he came on board. And then because Sheila was from Winnipeg and has a great deal of support in Winnipeg uh, from the film community there, from Manitoba Film and Sound, um, and we knew that we would want to be shooting in Winnipeg, we uh, she approached Jeff Peeler of Frantic Films, who uh, really is not a feature uh, film uh, producer. He mostly uh, is known for some of his very successful television shows, including the Baroness von Sketch show. But he very gamely took us on and uh, and um, and we made it in in Winnipeg as a as an interprovincial co-production. This is a remarkable cast. I mean, you talked about Martha Henry earlier, who is one of my personal favorite human beings. Yes. Uh, you've also got um, Peter Kelligan in this as well, who you'll know from all of your favorite television. Peter's fabulous in the film, and I'm so happy that he's playing this role because people don't normally see him in this kind of part. He, he often plays, you know, um, very comedic roles or, or very... Um, uh, uh, kind of smarmy characters mm -hmm. I've seen him do. And in fact, we worked together about 18 years ago on uh, the TV series called Made in Canada that he was doing uh, at that time. And I played his ex-wife uh, in that, in an episode. And um, and I just, uh, he, he came to us late in mind for the role, but uh, once we started thinking about him, it just began to make so much sense. And right from the time he came in to, to start rehearsing with us, Sheila and I knew that, that he was the guy. I mean, this was, we, were, we had, were so happy about our choice. And also Stuart Hughes, who I think is wonderful in the film, um, playing the other fellow who's interested in, in my character. Uh, he gives a beautiful performance. And the two, the two, um, Actresses Carrie Matchett and Kristen Harris, I think, are, are absolutely sensational. And what I also love about making this movie is that 
we just offered people the roles, you know, as actors. I mean, it doesn't matter what we've done, how many things we've done, how old we are, how long we've been around. The business is ever younger and there are younger people coming in all the time. And of course, you know, Americans and and unless we're big stars, which none of us are particularly, um, we're always having to audition. So to me, it really meant a lot to be able to just say to our casting director, Sarah Kay, we just said, look, nobody's auditioning. You just call them up and offer them this part, please, you know. And, uh, and, and of course, actors are thrilled to get roles like that. Uh, I, in a few occasions when I do these days, get offered things just out of the blue like that. It, it's it's very empowering. So. <laughs> well, and we hear so often from uh, actors who are on our show and actors in general that that there's just such a flawed system in auditioning, this whole like yeah. going into a room and talking and it's nothing like what it's actually like on set. And yeah. you have to know the person's right for that one thing. I do want to go back quick uh, to Martha Henry. You've, of course, worked with her over your whole career at certain points. Um, yes. What's it like working with someone over those generations or over that time? Well, Martha is just a bloody force of nature. <laughs> she is magnificent. I'm, you know, when I was at Stratford, my very first role on the Stratford stage was in Much Ado About Nothing. And I was playing the character of Hero and she was playing Beatrice. And so, you, you know, I, I knew her when I think about it. I mean, she was then like um, 20 years younger than I am now. And so that's the first time I worked with her. Then uh, when I started to work in television, I did a wonderful CBC miniseries in the early 80s called Empire Inc. that starred Kenneth Welsh. It was a story about a great industrial family that spanned uh, like six generations, this is 50 years in the family's life. And, uh, and Martha played my mother in that. Um, and now to have her to have her in this is really, was just wonderful. I, I, I really fought to get her. We didn't know whether she would accept it. I think she had some issues about whether she wanted to come out to Winnipeg and the timing and different things. And we had, I had my sister working on her. My sister's a very close friend of hers, you know, living in Stratford. My sister, Cynthia Dale, is actually much closer to Martha than I am. Um, and, and uh, and we had Martha's daughter working on her, <laughs> and finally she said yes. And I I hope she's happy that she did it. I don't. She has not seen the film yet, but I'm, I hope she's happy she did it. Well, she's fab fabulous in it. Hopefully she uh, hopefully she does as well. It's a grand dam role, right? So yeah, uh, yeah. And of course, I have just one more question for you. As as our time runs out, uh, you've had such incredible longevity in your career, as I mentioned earlier. And uh, part of our podcast's point is to help people find the good stuff in Canadian film that may not be as well known. What of your back catalog would you recommend people check out? Oh, back catalog. I I can't really say. Although I can tell you that um, recently, because my film. Um, 
was had its world premiere at the Whistler Film Festival. Uh, and I was so grateful because they brought me out there. Um, Paul Graton, the, the, the programmer, head programmer of the festival, brought me out there to be on the jury for the uh, choosing of the best Canadian feature for the Philip Borsos Award. Our film was not in competition specifically so that I could come out and be on that jury. And I got to, to see like 20 fabulous Canadian films that were all up for competition. And I'll tell you, my favorite, um, my favorite, personal favorite, was the film that... Uh, made by a young indigenous woman director, Darlene Naponce. It's called Falls Around Her, and it stars the indefatigable Tantu Cardinal. Oh, she's everywhere. This is great. <laughs> yes, who who is starring in this film in the, in the leading role for the first time ever in her career in her late 50s, right? Early 60s. And... I just think that it's absolutely sensational and uh, that she's sensational in it. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Jennifer. That's all the questions I have for you. Thank you, Becky. Great Thank to you. talk to you. You as well. Take care. Bye. My next guest is director, writer, and proud Manitoban filmmaker Sheila Carter, who, as Jennifer said, co-wrote and directed Into Invisible Light. Sheila is a lifetime member of the Actors Studio as an actress and director, a professor of theater and film at the University of Winnipeg, and a graduate of the Canadian Film Center's Director's Lab in Toronto. Her previous two feature films, Passion Flower and Before You Say Anything, have screened and won awards at film festivals around the world. Here's Sheila Carter. So if we can sort of start out with um, your origins uh, working, I know you were an actress originally, and uh, sort of what inspired you to get into the industry? Um, well, I, it was actually through my, I think my dad and my mom, they were big uh, cinema lovers when I was growing up, and um, like my mom would uh, keep me home from school to watch, you know, um, all the famous movie stars, Betty Davis. <laughs> so, um, there was a, so there was a real love of cinema and film from I, since I was, oh God, five, six, seven, eight growing up. So I had a, a kind of an interesting education because they not only were interested in, they were interested in, in what they could find globally. Um, so that was sort of a, a bit of a, um, well, an education as much as possible, I suppose at that time. But then I, I was always, I know I was always an artist. Um, it was a bit, of, a bit idiosyncratic. Um, I was interested in theater. I was interested in, in painting. I was interested in all of that kind of visual world as well. And, and eventually um, I sort of fell into um, cinema. I mean, I, I loved acting, but directing really took my heart. And, I'm, and my background... Um, my first degree was interior design, so I was always sort of very visual, and um, and that's it. All kind of came together, um, you know, going right up to the moment where I met um, Jen Dale. I was at the Canadian Film Centre, and I had um, a 35 millimeter film to shoot, and she loved the script. It was called One Night, and I had been looking for a DOP, and I took a risk. And my producer and I reached out to Osama Rai, who was in town um, doing post on the tutors. And we met and he loved the project and things kind of fell into place from there. I, 
I had seen, you know, um, Jen work on the set, and she reminded me of uh, a Chekhov character, and she reminded me specifically of Helena from Uncle Vanya. And uh, so we started to talk about what that could be in contemporary terms, and also our own lives, you know, bringing our own experience to choices and regrets and, uh, you know, really having serious conversations about that. And we talked a little bit with uh, Jennifer about um, Uncle Vanya and the Chekhov connection. What's it like reinterpreting the themes and, you know, some of the some of the characterization of an older play or an older theatrical work into a modern film? Well, I think eventually, um, as a source, for me, it was always the relationship between Helena and Astroff, the doctor. Mm. And so um, in making it contemporary, I mean, Chekhov, he resonates even now in terms of people's lives and stories. And um, so I think that even though essentially maybe some of his um, storyline would fall away and we would take it into our own time and, and change some of the of the um, story around these characters. You're taking specific elements and going, okay, this works in a modern adaptation in the story we want to tell. And then how do you apply that towards uh, that, that modern eye and that modern sensibility? And, you know, the fact that we now have nudity in film. Yeah. And, and, and also, you know, it's character driven. Um, so that's uh, relates very well. Um, both characters were, are both in stories somewhat lonely and um, and also there's a kind of what I'm interested in as an artist is that a sense of reckoning that comes with the creative act, you know, which brought us to handling um, the storyline of Duende, uh, the impulse to make one's life through making art. And it's foundational in this film as well. Right. So it for me, it also is part of the, um, the, the visual design you know, the accompanying movement of, quote unquote, into invisible light, which um, has, you know, paradoxical and enigmatic nature of, of art, what we attempt, right, to a desire to transform in what we're creating and, and, and live and lived experience that the tango is part of that, too. It's a cor- correlative for an unnerving state that takes place. Um, the visual, um, what we eventually came is, because the film tells you what it is, you know, in the edit suite, right? Like it's, you think you're doing one film and then the film comes to you in the edit suite and, and we think, oh, this is the story. <laughs> <laughs> you, have to be, you have to be quite open to that too, you know? Well, that's something as I was as I was watching it, it sort of matured on me as well as a viewer, um, because initially I was like, oh, this is a story about exploring challenges of a love that is potentially maturing and altering and changing, not only for human beings, but for things that for activities, for things that you do. So you see in the daughter, the, um, you know, the new fresh passion for dance. And I mean, she's obviously been doing this for a long time. But how does that affect her emotionally versus someone who has been doing this for decades and They've had their foibles, uh, such as, um, you know, the character of Michael. Right. A lot of the films we make now tend to be more about, like, new, fresh, exciting love. We like to watch young people fall in love. What's, yeah, what's the value in watching films about mature love? And why do people tend to kind of walk away from that? You know, I would, 
It's interesting because uh, it, it is a challenge, right? It's it's more, it might even, if I can be a demographic, I mean, sometimes I've been told that my taste is more towards, quote unquote, a European film, mm. where there's a, a, a quality of, of willing to take time with the film and, and have a have a, a sense that, I mean, even the way that they value older people in their lives, right? I mean, North America is, is still, we're getting better at it, but we are aging, right? The baby boomers are aging. And, um, and in the sense of making choices, uh, you know, young people are challenged that way too. And, and I'm wondering if it might speak to some of them about, you know, if you make a choice now, how will that, you know, affect what you're doing, right? What is, but maybe not. I mean, I, I certainly don't want to lecture anybody or be, you know, pedantic in any way, but I think that I'm hoping that the, that the film will find its audience. And it is, I mean, it is a mature film. It is an adult film in that sense. Um, but, you know, um, I guess that, I think that's the truth of it. So we'll see. You know, fingers crossed. <laughs> and, and you also have a lot of representations of different kind of art in here. I mean, you talked about the tango. There's some modern dance. You've got poetry. Like, it's 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 all yeah. over the place in, in the best possible way. How did you decide how you were going to visually portray a lot of those things? You know, in talking with uh, Ozzy, Osama Rai, uh, we started with a sense of light. We started with light. We started with the metaphor of one's... Um, commitment to, I don't know, your inner life or just how you feel about life, I guess. It's a bit, it's a bit vague. But we started with the light visually. And when we went and looked at locations, we were very aware of what we would need to do physically to the space. And then I worked with a very talented choreographer, um, found this wonderful young actress dancer who JD uh, Lynn McDonald who plays Monica and and from there we started to think about she was the woman who was the choreographer responded right away to the script in her way and I just sort of trusted that if they if people got it that we would that it would come together um, there was a lot of uh, of um, you know I sort of storyboard but I think by now, Mr. Raleigh or Ozzy and I have our own um, kind of um, shorthand, mm. and that really helps when, you know, your team gets you. And um, and then movement is, you know, it's part of cinema, right? Even if you're, I don't know, just thinking of space and time. <laughs> <laughs> Now, you are, of course, working in Manitoba, and uh, that's where you call home. Um, you've also made a point of using Manitoban cast members and crew members instead of importing from larger centers. Uh, what's that experience been like for you? Well, you know, um, I have been developing a team of people here that I really, really like. Um, and again, that shorthand. Uh, some of them had been worked with me on by two earlier features, so I could reach out to them. And then, you know, we did have to deal. It's been very busy here. So there were some wonderful discoveries that happened, even though we were up against um, um, bigger and more, um, like, American productions, right? And um, But we're, 
you know, we have a lot of spirit out here in Manitoba. (laughs) (laughs) We make things work. So as long as, you know, people are, if the attitude is let's make this film um, and, uh, and they love their work and they love their jobs, it's that kind of commitment you look for. And, and, and I feel we found it, you know, I mean, it's, it's 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 uh, no joke. I mean, making films, uh, it's tough. It uh, requires a lot of energy. Um, there's always an obstacle that you or something you have to solve. Um, with this, it happened to be finding all the locations. Um, some fell away, and then others came in their place. And you just you really have to be ready to think on the spot. Um, and you know, Ozzy brought a great team together in terms of the camera department and my producer here Jeff Peeler uh, was really supportive like it's you need it emotionally too right you're the captain so to speak of the team and you need to feel that um, and I'm you know I'm grateful I'm, I'm, I'm grateful it's working somehow <laughs> Now, here's a question I have for you that you may not have an answer for. Do you feel like living in Manitoba has given you a certain point of view on the world? Uh, yes, I do. Because my dad would always say, well, we're the middle of Canada. <laughs> we're the middle of North America. Um, you know, when I, it gave me, it, when I was uh, much younger, I went away to study in New York City, for instance. And, um, so here I'm a prairie girl, like 1920, in New York. And the grounding I had from the Midwest, so to speak, really helped me out in the dynamic that is a big city. And that is, that, I mean, it's bigger and bigger and bigger, and it's just a different time now there. But um, that's what I began to appreciate. Uh, I began to appreciate that I had sort of a solid foundation from the West, And, um, so that's what we have here. And, uh, you know, you can talk about East and the West coast and all of that, but, you know, we're getting so global that, um, you know, thank God Skype worked today. (laughs) (laughs) I was worried thinking about being out here in the prairies and my Skype doesn't work because of my internet. But anyway, um, the bottom line is that it was that foundation and that's given me a point of view and there's horizons here. Uh, which also gives you a sense. I mean, it's very cinematic. I mean, it's just it just is. And then, of course, speaking of travel, um, I would like to ask you about all the film festivals you've gotten to do and what the value of film festivals are for Canadian film. Well, I I love going to festivals, and it's in part, of course, because it's you meet the people that are talking the same language, and you see new films, and um, you get in, re-inspired again, and you feel like you have a sense of community. Um, so I've been grateful that my last, um, feature had, has done well overseas, um, in some of the, um, they're not maybe the biggest festivals, but enough that they are, um, well-respected and from there grown some other friendships. I'm working on my next project with a lovely woman who's a story editor from Munich, Germany. So it's, it's a, it's kind of a cosmopolitan way to live. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which is is kind of appealing to me um, because it's based in the art and 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 I love to travel, so it opens your horizons to people like humanity, 
and uh, and also, you know, you get to show your film and you get to, um, I mean, yes, here we are, we're coming up against an audience. Um, I don't know how they'll respond. You never know how they're going to respond, right? Um, you always learn from that. Um, and, and, and I've done a lot of theater directing in my time and, and as an actress, certainly you, that's where I learned that you can never underestimate an audience. Um, never. They, that sometimes you get your best uh, lesson from them because they've picked up on something in your subconscious um, because, you know, the film is out there and now it's living, right? So... Uh, I just have one last question for you, and this is something I ask all of my filmmaking guests. What do you think Canada needs more of in terms of supporting its artists? Well, you know, we certainly have, thank God, funding agencies mm. uh, that try their best, right? Um, but it needs, I think all government, I mean, there's there's all elements that go together, right, for everybody in, in, in Canada, whether it's hot, you know, our insurance is, uh, you know, keeping the city together. But if, if, if we could also know through our governments, right, that they feel that art is important, mm. that, that art can speak in a way that, um, I mean, this sounds maybe kind of cliche, but I believe it, um, it communicates to people in, in a way that I think sometimes is mostly non-threatening, you know what I mean? Because it opens up dialogue, and yes, we have to have those dialogues through art, so I think I would like to feel that, and we certainly got a fantastic announcement last week at All Access that the Conservative government here took off the sunset clause on our tax credit. Oh, thank goodness. Which was the smartest thing to do and they valued all the effort of the people behind the scenes that that did that in the 30 years or so of the growth of film here i mean they they did see it so if we could have some more of that it'd be great <laughs> <laughs> well and it's also the understanding that the arts are also a business they're not just the arts exactly. they bring they bring lots of income for lots of jobs for yeah. lots of people right Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Sheila, that's all the questions I have for you. Thank you so much. Thank you for connecting. (laughs) (laughs) It's my pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. If you like what we're doing, please remember to rate us and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcatcher. It helps people find our podcast and Canadian media they love. Come chat with us at RCM Pod on Facebook or on Twitter at RCM Pod. Our theme song is by Craig Stewart, and our show art is by Paul Stachniak. Join us next week for another great film from the wilds of Canadian cinema.